Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. So here's what we've learned so far in this series about grown-up prayers. Those who followed Jesus realized how different their prayers were than, what, than the way that Jesus prayed. And so like many of us, they were probably praying, and like the little guy in the video, they were praying prayers that they'd memorized when they were, when they were kids. I'm not really sure he could explain what nourishment was, but, you know, he was in there slugging. One day, they approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is how he responded. He starts out with the negative because it's easier for us to get the negative down first, right? Lord, teach us to pray. And he starts out by telling them how not to pray. In Matthew 6, verse 5, But when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Prayer is not about trying to impress God. And it's not about trying to impress other people. And that's the thing that he wanted them to start with. Stop trying to impress everyone. That's not what prayer is intended for. Instead, make sure the focus of your prayer is not on how impressive you sound, but the focus of your prayer is on God and not just getting what you want. That's about as childish as you can be in approaching your prayers. In verse 8 of Matthew 6, he says, Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And of course, that leads back to an obvious question. Well, then, if he already knows, then why should I pray? Why didn't he just do it? His disciples may have wanted to know how to pray, but Jesus wanted them to know why we pray. Now, typically, our prayers are pretty much just us telling God what we want, either for ourselves or for others. But Jesus wanted them to learn and wants us to learn that grown-up prayers are not to be about being impressive, but they're to be about privacy and, and, and the personal approach to God. For example, in verse 6 of Matthew 6, he says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. He also wants us to know that grown-up prayers put things in perspective. For example, God is greater than me, God is bigger than my way, and God is greater than my stuff that I want. That's why he teaches them in verse 9, this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now again, as I'd mentioned before, hallowed's one of those words we don't get to use very often, but think hall of fame. It's where those who are recognized that have gone before us for the greatness of their accomplishments. And that certainly applies to God as well. That in prayer, we need to remember the great things that God has done and the honor that he deserves. It's in this way that Jesus wants us to learn that grown-up prayer is about surrendering our will to God instead of imposing our will on God. Prayer is intended to move us instead of us trying to move God into what we want him to do. That's why, according to Jesus, grown-up prayers recognize who God is, hallowed be your name, and submit to his guidance. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus isn't just teaching us to pray like he prayed. He's teaching us to live like he lived. 
submitting to the will of God in his life. Prayer, more than anything else, then, is simply us telling God, I want what you want. Just like his prayer in Gethsemane. When he really wanted to do anything else but go to the cross, but what he wanted more than that was what God wanted. And that's what his prayer was about. It's at this point that Jesus teaches us that grown-up prayers rely on God's provision. For example, in Matthew 6, verse 11, he says, Give us today our daily bread. Now, his disciples in that era would have immediately made a connection to a story from the history of their people found in Exodus chapter 16. It had to do with the Exodus. God had heard the prayers of his people begging for deliverance from their slavery in Egypt for years. Ironically, both Moses and Pharaoh need God to convince them that they need to do what God wants. Moses needs to be convinced by God to go back and lead his people to freedom. Pharaoh needs to be convinced by God to let that happen. When they eventually are released from slavery and they're on their way to the promised land, the place that God has always intended them to be, they're two and a half months on the road. Excuse me, two, well, yeah, two and a half months on the road. And they've got more questions than answers. Now, those are not the kind of prayers that we want. We want the genie in the bottle. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to rub the magic lamp or I'm going to rub my hands together just like I would a magic lamp. And when I end up my prayer with amen, I want to open my eyes and there's the answer to my prayer. Now, we'll never say that because that sounds ridiculous, right? But it's how we feel. And God's people have been on the road now for two and a half months, and you want to think that your kids are insistent on knowing, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? That's what God's people were like with Moses. Every morning, every night, all day long, all they could do was whine and complain to Moses, we're going to starve to death out here. Man, if we were just back in Egypt, at least we had onions to eat. That's desperate. And so God provides for them something that they called manna, which is translated, as I understand it, what is it? Kind of like when you introduce a new food to your kids. You put it on the dish, you put it on the table in front of them, and they take one look at it, and they look at it, they look at you. What is this? That's the idea of manna, or it may probably have been pronounced something different like manna. And yet God promised them, I'll take care of you. And so every morning they would go out and they would find something that looked like frost on the ground. Yes, we're familiar with that around here. And somehow they were to collect it. So clearly it wasn't like frost, which would dissolve in your hands. But if they collected it, they found that they could use it for flour to make bread. Now the stipulation was they were only collect enough for that day except for the Sabbath, and they were to collect enough for two days. But if they tried to collect more of that because they didn't know whether it would be there the next day or not, it would spoil. And they're good with that for a while, but then, you know, they say, hey, we got to have something more than carbs, right? You know, how about some protein? And so every evening, God sent a flock of quail into their camp, providing them with meat for the day. 
And this happened every morning and every evening. And in doing so, God provided them their daily needs. Now, God need, God's people needed to learn that they could always count on Him for exactly what they needed each and every day. And that's the kind of grown-up prayer that Jesus is teaching them. Gratitude for knowing that God provides. Now, for the Exodus people, it was food and water, guidance, protection from their enemies, even clothing and sandals that wouldn't wear out on their journey. For us, it may be something entirely different that you need for this day and that you need every day. Maybe for some of you, it's the will to get up and go to work at a place where you really don't want to be, with people you really don't want to be around. <laughs> Maybe for some of you, it's the will to go home to a place where you don't want to be, to people you don't want to be around. I don't know. But bottom line is, God gives us exactly what we need. And so that's why Jesus wants us to understand that grown-up prayers acknowledge our dependence on God and our confidence in God. It's a recognition that God provides exactly what we need every single day. Now, that's hard to remember when we've got more than enough. It's hard to remember when our freezers are full, our cupboards are full, our bank accounts are flush, the car turns over and starts every time we turn the key. But it's not always like that, is it? And in those times, it's a lot harder to remember that God is the one who provides especially during those never-ending moments when we just don't have any answers. And it's not about which way are we going and are we there yet. But in those moments when we ask God again, God, what, how long is this going to last? When, when's this going to be over? Now, there's a great example of a grown-up prayer in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 that recognizes those extremes. You'll see that on the card that is on the seat in front of you. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Or, as some paraphrases read, like is on your card, keep me humble and honest. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Now, sometimes the lies and dishonesty that, he need, that we need him to keep us from are, this, are, are the lies about God that keep being drilled into our head. You can't count on God. If God were really a good God, you wouldn't have to still be doing this. You wouldn't still be going through this. Hence the prayer... Protect me, God, and keep me humble and honest. Give me, ne give me neither poverty nor riches, just my daily bread. And he goes on to explain the reason for that in verse 9. If I have too much, I might deny that I need you, Lord. But if I'm too poor, I'm going to do something stupid. Okay, that's what I'm adding. But I might do something stupid. I might steal and bring shame to the name of my God. 
That's a grown-up prayer right there. Are you willing to tell God that? I mean, God may, God may put you through a garage sale if you do that. He may give you a fire sale if you do that. He may help you win the lottery if you do that. But the bottom line is, is your dependency on him. Are you willing to tell God, God, keep me honest? If I have too much, I may forget you and that I need you. But if I have too little, I may be tempted to do something that disgraces who you are. You see, this prayer reminds me not only of my need for God, but also my own inclination to forget about God. You know what that's like? When things are going so well, when everything is so dependable every single day, you know that everything's going to be taken care of, that you forget to honor God for what He's done in your life. You know the story. Maybe it's your own story about how easy it is to forget about when how, how easy it is to forget about God when life is full, and how easy it is to compromise God's morality when you're bored or when you're desperate for solutions. And that's why he begins by asking for God's help. God, keep me honest. It's then that Jesus addresses another universal need that we have, that grown-up prayers rely on God's pardon. Another word for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. The common English Bible phrases it this way, forgive us for the ways that we've wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged You notice how easy it is for us to be willing to pray the first part of that prayer? God, forgive me! But how we struggle with the second half of that prayer? Like I've forgiven others who've wronged me. You see, God asks us to take a good long look in the mirror. Are you willing, really willing to ask for something for yourself? that you're not willing for others to have? There's not a lot of wiggle room in that. I mean, well, that's just your interpretation. There's no interpretation about it. It just says what it says. Our discipleship gets real at this point. If we're going to learn more about Jesus, well, here's something pretty simple that Jesus tells us about. And that means this is how you love like I loved. And that's why all men will know that you're my disciples if you love each other like this. So if we'll look more like Jesus in how we actually live our life, Jesus is taking this way past whether or not we go to church. He's taking this way past where we go to church. He's wanting us to be changed in who we are. The Apostle Paul would later emphasize it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, when he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God forgave you in Christ. Again, don't miss that last part. Just as God forgave you in Christ. 
Well, they never said they were sorry. They never asked for forgiveness. Just as God forgave you in Christ, while we were still sinners, God sent his son to die for us. You see, a child's immature prayer might be to forgive people, but only because they think they deserved it. It takes a real grown-up to pull up their big boy pants and ask God to forgive people because they know what it's like to need forgiveness. You see, what it comes down to is this. Grown-up prayers aren't just conscience cleansing. They're character changing. A willingness to forgive releases us from the resentment that we feel and makes reconciliation an option, maybe for the first time. That being said, forgiveness is not a magic wand that we wave over something that's happened and and rewind the hands of time. Forgiveness cannot undo what's been done, and forgiveness can't cancel the consequences of the choices that were made. No, this type of grown-up prayer is a decision that reflects who you are, not what they've done. That's why it's the grown-up reality of a song that we frequently will sing when someone's baptized. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. You see, it's forgiveness that sets us free. Sometimes free from ourselves. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 read this way. When you were baptized, you were buried with Christ. As you're reading through this, notice notice the word with. It's in baptism, we were buried with Christ, but we were also raised up with Him. So we're buried with Him, we're raised up with Him, and it's all because of our faith in God's power that was shown when He raised Christ from the dead. Now, verse 13, he says, when you were spiritually dead because of your sins and because you were not free from the power of your sinful self. I love that phrasing. It's the New Century Version. You were not free from the power of your sinful self. It's another way of saying you're your own worst enemy, right? And when you were your own worst enemy, what happened? God made you alive, and there's that phrase again, with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. When Jesus says, pray this way, he's inviting us to experience God's power in a really practical way. Because forgiveness is the power of faith in God to do what we can't do on our own. Forgiveness is the power of the faith in God to work both in us and on us so that he can then work through us. It sets us free from being a slave to our own anger, our own bitterness, our own resentment about what happened in the past. Don't miss this. Are you serving God of heaven? Or are you serving the God of your emotions? Are you serving the Lord in heaven? Or have you made... 
Have you made your past your Lord? Your emotions do not deserve to be your Lord, and they do not have the authority to command your loyalty. So if you've been serving anger, bitterness, and resentment over Jesus? Really? Why? So praying to forgive others like God forgave us will make your life better because it will make you better at life. Now it's at this point that Jesus ends his lesson on grown-up prayer by making us really uncomfortable, like he hasn't done this already, right? Now some manuscripts will add this, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. You know, grand conclusion if you're singing the Lord's Prayer. All sopranos, hit that note. But Jesus drives home this connection between grown-up prayer and our heart this way in verse 14 and 15 of Matthew. I'm going to make you squirm when I read this. I'm just reading what Jesus said, though. For if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Man, that raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? But that's what Jesus does when he's trying to teach us, when he wants us to think and think deeply about what he's saying. Sure, it sounds legalistic. Yes, it sounds conditional, almost like it depends on us. But what do you call people who expect others to do what they're not willing to do themselves? Hypocrites. But hypocrites don't pray grown-up prayers do they? And Jesus started out his instruction on teach us to pray by saying, don't pray like the hypocrites. What else would you call it? If you expect God to forgive you, but you're not willing to forgive what somebody else has done to you. Now, I know that's not easy. We've all got our stories about how somebody done us dirty. And we can play, yeah, but all day long and we can try to you know play one upsmanship you know well yeah that's bad but let me tell you what happened to me now that happens because we live in a world that's broken and we live in a world full of broken people and those broken people are going to break things and sometimes the things that they break are going to be our hearts but even if i agreed man that was really bad you ought to get a pass on who deserves forgiveness that's not what jesus does that's because he knows what an unwillingness to forgive does to my heart. Even prayer can't help those who aren't willing to ask God to make them willing to forgive. Maybe that's exactly what God wants us to do, to get stuck on this issue. And to not breeze past it, to not blow it past it to something else until we have to deal with the same thing that he had to deal with with us. Forgiveness. 
Don't pretend you can move on until you've surrendered your anger, your hurt, your resentment, your bitterness, and stopped serving it and started serving God instead. And that really brings us back to the question, doesn't it? Why bother? Because I'm not even sure prayer works. I prayed about it, but I still hate them. I prayed about it, and I still hope their house burns and they get run over by a truck trying to run out of the house. Now, we never say we do that, right? But I got a list of names, and I bet you do too. I'd be embarrassed if you saw it. No, most of you aren't on it. Okay, don't get hung up on most. All right? But here's the deal. We all know what it is to want from God what we're not willing to give somebody else. Forgiveness. And that really brings us back to that issue. Does prayer even work? Well, that kind of grown-up prayer that Jesus talks about always works. Because that kind of prayer that Jesus talks about will work on us in our heart. It'll work in us when it will not let go of us. And eventually it will work through us as we allow God to do what we have been unable to do on our own. Big boy prayers and big girl prayers invite God to keep us accountable so that we can become responsible in following Jesus. Not just childishly insisting on my way be done, but instead being willing to say those grown-up prayers, God, your will be done. Well, can't I have things be okay, be good between me and God without having to make things good between us? I don't like them. I want God to like me, but I really don't like them. Well, how are you going to pretend that you're okay with God? When you know that's not the case. You know, we've got a word for that. It's called religion. And that's what happens when people who look religious really turn out to be hypocrites. Because religion leaves you empty and unchanged because it just uses God as a cover to get your way. Now, how do you get there? Well, let's try this. When I focus on the work of God and the work that God has yet to complete in me, I am far less concerned with the work that He has yet to complete in you. Right? It feels like your prayers are stuck and not working. Maybe it's because you got stuck in unforgiveness. Are you more focused on where they stand with me than on where you stand with God? It's a lot easier to be willing to forgive others when you're focused instead on what God has forgiven in you. And Jesus was a lot more direct, almost like he was speaking to adults and not children, when he said this in Matthew 7, verse 5, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly. Well, what's the point of that? So you can feel superior to others? No. 
He goes on to say, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When I can, when I can see better who I am, it's a whole lot easier for me to see how to help you. What you need is probably what we all need. More grace, more patience, more mercy, more forgiveness. That's when our grown-up prayers become more humble than somebody who's just trying to impress others. That's when our grown-up prayers start to sound more like, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, than thank you, God, that I am not like those people over there. David, why you in the praise team join me back up on stage? We'll head down past third base and on toward home here. If you're willing to pray and live like Jesus, let him teach you about prayer this way. You see, Jesus teaches us how to pray grown-up prayers of surrender. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus teaches us how to pray grown-up prayers of provision. Father, give us today our daily bread. He teaches us to pray those grown-up prayers of pardon. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he teaches us how to pray grown-up prayers of protection. Lead us not into temptation. We're more than capable of getting there all by ourselves, right? We'll speak more about that this coming week, Lord willing. But in the meantime, how are you and God? Not how are you and the people that hurt you. How are you and God? Are you on speaking terms? Or have you been giving God the silent treatment because you had too much in your life and you forgot about him? Are you giving God the silent treatment because you didn't have enough in your life and you're mad at him? Perhaps this is God trying to work in you, on you, and through you again so that he can move you closer to him. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.